0: Welcome to the Market Pulse podcast from Equifax, where we break down the latest economic and credit insights to help you navigate today's business landscape.
1: Today on the Market Pulse Monthly, we focus on a number of timely topics, including the fiscal stimulus, the potential consumer credit impact, and the potential impact to small businesses. I'm your host, Teresa Freese, and joining me today are Chris DiRides, Deputy Chief Economist at Moody's Analytics, Chris Walker, Senior Director of Product Management at Equifax, David Fieldhouse, Director of Credit Analytics at Moody's Analytics, and Sarah Briscoe, Senior Data Scientist at Equifax. Thank you all for joining me today. So let's start with the macroeconomy and more specifically fiscal stimulus. Chris, it seems things are changing by the day and at times by the hour. Can you help us understand, are are we going to get additional stimulus and if so, when and, and what might it look like?
0: That's a great question, Teresa, and it's uh, really critical to the economic outlook, uh, certainly in the short term. Uh, I think the the question really is when, not if. I'm fairly confident that we will get some fiscal stimulus because the economy remains weak. Although there's been some improvement, we are putting more people back to work. Still, we have over 800,000 people uh, filing for unemployment insurance every week. So clearly, there is a need uh, for some additional support. When, the timing now really depends on the election outcome, I believe. There's a chance that we are able to reach a deal before the election, and every day we get another piece of information that sounds encouraging at times and sounds discouraging at other times. So uh, it's possible that we get something before the election, but uh, my assumption, working assumption right now is that it will be after the election, and this per- then the precise timing will depend on who actually wins uh, the election.
1: Thank you, Chris. And and I know I've seen um, updates around, you know, whether we'll get another $1,200 stimulus check, um, extended, potentially extended unemployment benefits. Um, you and I have discussed the aid to state and local governments. Can you help us understand how each of those elements might come into play?
0: Sure, sure. I th- so I think uh, all of these elements are uh, still on the table. Uh, again, there's negotiation going on on both sides. With the uh, the House Democrats and the uh, Senate Republicans in the White House having all different views, I think each one, each one of these elements or some flavor of these elements is still likely uh, to show up in the uh, in the final package. So the stimulus checks, for example, those were checks that went out originally back in in March and April under the CARES Act. Those were instrumental in providing immediate aid uh, to households that were really facing an immediate crisis, right? As as the job losses were piling up. Their incomes were being cut off immediately. There are a number of uh, households that do live paycheck to paycheck, so that immediate stimulus check was was really vital uh, to keeping keeping those uh, those households um, going. I think uh, I think that there is an appetite for another round of those stimulus checks, just based on where we are in the economy. I think the debate is really around the size of the checks, maybe the qualifications, uh, the uh, amount of money that you that might be granted for for families with dependent children or older dependent children. So those are really the details where we have some of the debate, but I, I do expect to see some some form of check going forward. The extended unemployment insurance benefits have been critical as well. So that's the extra $600 a week that uh, folks were getting uh, as part of their unemployment insurance uh, package. Uh, that, that extension ran out at the end of July, essentially. And so at this point, you have uh families really making do with the the standard benefit and with, with whatever savings they've accumulated. And that means that they are now vulnerable. Uh at this point, as we were looking at October, November, some of those savings are, are running awfully low. So that's that's really a risk. Again, I think both sides are on board with uh extending additional benefits, and it's really the amount, right? There's some questions about. Uh, whether it should be $600, $300, $400, $500, right? It's just really the amount that, that we're talking about here, as well as maybe the duration, how long would we continue to offer these benefits. The, uh, the one area where there is perhaps more of a, a sticking point is around that state and local government support, as we've discussed in the past, right? There are a number of state and local governments that are under serious fiscal pressure. You, you see layoffs starting to increase at the state and local government level. And so some federal support seems to be in order if, if we're going to avoid additional layoffs. Uh, but there are, there is certainly some debate about supporting governments that might have already been in trouble, uh, fiscally. Um, how much additional support are we willing to give at this point? Uh, to, uh versus, you know, really providing a, an extra level of, of support as, the, as they're doing with the, with the pandemic itself. So I think again, all of these factors are on the table, it's really a question of, Size and timing of, of the different packages as they come together.
1: Thank you, Chris. And at the macro level, when we're talking about how those unemployment benefits expired in the July timeframe and, and how that initial $1,200 stimulus check early in the pandemic has probably um, now shifted to actually paying bills and not in the savings are we starting to see at a macro level that impact on consumers? Um, I know we'll dive deeply with Chris and David in a moment on the consumer credit discussion, but what are we seeing as a, at the macro level as to the impact that, that additional fiscal stimulus um, is having on, on the economy?
0: Yeah, great question. So at this point, at the macro level, in terms of looking at, say, either um, missed debt payments, the number of people who are missing their mortgage payments, auto payments, or Credit cards, for example, uh, we have we've seen some weakness in some of those markets, uh, most recently. But by and large, the delinquency rates have been have been still low, and that is because households have gotten the additional financial support that that we that we've discussed. And on top of that, there have been um, forbearance uh, plans or payment deferral plans offered by the lenders or by the federal government. So that certainly has helped uh, the households but i think we're we are at a critical time here where a lot of those savings are are running out and so i would expect that without any additional support we will start to see these delinquency rates uh creep up in um, in november december and the longer we delay a stimulus we could actually see some spikes uh in defaults particularly in the spring as some of these mortgage uh forbearance programs expire and and folks are going to be required to make those payments. Once again, those are pretty sizable payments. And if the income is not there, obviously, we're going to see some some additional defaults.
1: So, Chris, last time we spoke about the potential shape of the recovery, and even during the presidential debate a few weeks ago, there the topic of a K-shaped recovery came up. Do you still see right. the K-shaped recovery? and And help us understand a little bit how that's looking.
0: Yeah, unfortunately I do. And by, by the K shape here, another way to put it is really that we have a two track type of recovery where you have one part of the population that is doing relatively well, right? No one's doing great, I would say, but, uh, some, some, some households, some, some individuals are, are certainly doing better than others. So, uh, folks with, uh, jobs where they can work from home, uh, higher income, higher wealth, uh, households, uh, certainly higher education or highly more highly educated uh, people uh certainly have more opportunities and you do see that their recovery has been uh, much stronger their their uh, stock market uh portfolios have recovered in terms of their values house prices continue to rise uh and again if you are able to work from home if you are one of the 25 30% of the folks who are in that category you have some opportunities and you've been able to adapt uh and I would say relatively speaking, I've been able to, to continue to progress and the future does look, uh, does look relatively bright. On the other hand, you have, again, the, the, uh, 75% of the population or so who have to uh, show up to work. They, they can't uh, work from home very effectively. And, uh, they may be working in industries that were very hard hit by the COVID-19 crisis. So if you're working in lesion hospitality or bricks-and-mortar retail, right, they, um, the, the uh, crisis, the the economic recovery is certainly much, much slower uh, on that. And you may not have savings or some of the stock market wealth that I alluded to to help um, support you at, at this time. So I am concerned that we will have even more inequality, at least for a while, as we work through this um, this recovery. And all the more reason why we need additional fiscal stimulus, particularly to to ensure that those folks who are, you know, struggling uh, to to move ahead in this recovery, have the support uh, that they need to be able to put food on the table, continue to to meet their obligations, and at the same time give them some breathing room to look for a job or to start a business and uh, continue to to push our economy forward.
1: That was Chris DiRides, Deputy Chief Economist at Moody's Analytics. After this quick break, we'll shift gears and talk about consumer credit. Do you have the tools you need for adequate forecasting and risk management? Start with the differentiated consumer credit insight and Credit Trends by Equifax. Credit Trends is a powerful intelligence tool that delivers the holistic perspective you need to better understand your portfolio and trends in today's changing economic conditions. Learn more about credit trends through the link in our show notes. Welcome back. We're joined now by Chris Walker, solutions expert on all things credit trends here at Equifax, and David Fieldhouse, director of credit analytics at Moody's Analytics, subject matter expert of all things credit forecast. So gentlemen, before the break, Chris Doriti spoke in depth about fiscal policy, the shape of the recovery, higher level insights around the impact to consumers and small businesses. Now we're going to shift to focus more specifically on consumer credit, both current trends and Outlook. Chris Walker, is there anything in the data that is really jumping out at you today?
2: Yeah, uh, thanks, Teresa. You know, there is. So uh, total consumer debt um, is up. Uh, it's up about 3% if we look at it, you know, compared to last year. But as uh, Chris said in his you know section, the delinquencies still remain low, and they're actually about you know, 50% less than they were a year ago. We know that that's driven by, you know, the CARES Act and, you know, the possible accommodations coming in, um, as well as consumers, you know, simply paying off, um, you know, the debt with uh, the stimulus that they've received. When you look at um, and drill down a, you know, a layer deep, you go into certain products. So, we look at auto and our bank card and and private label cards. All those have actually been experiencing, you know, somewhat of a rise in delinquency over the past few weeks, and that corresponds to Declines that we've seen in possible accommodation. Now, you know the percent of balances that we see um, that's under a form of possible accommodation. It it actually reached a peak uh, in June of this year, and since that time has just been declining. You know, and overall today or this past week, we you know held at 6.9 percent of balances under one of the forms of possible accommodation, um, but a couple of accounts actually started increasing, and that's the first time we've seen that. Uh, since we began tracking possible accommodations, and was really around the card and home equity products. Uh, all the others really remained steady. So, and
1: Chris, just to clarify, that excludes student loans. Is that correct?
2: It does exclude student loans. Yes. Yeah. So, so David, you know, with uh, with the decreases that we've seen in possible accommodations, and really the steady hold of this delinquency rate so far, uh, you know, what insight you know can you share on you know when or if right we may start to see impact to delinquency and sort of what you guys are um, thinking is gonna be the, the future here?
3: That's a great question, Chris. We are forecasting that delinquencies will rise. So, uh, you know, if payments took a holiday in the summer uh, and and we didn't see any delinquencies in the summer, some of that's gonna come due in the fall and heading into the winter. So, uh, you know, across the board, our models are forecasting rises in delinquencies. It's definitely very muted in a space like mortgage because it's being supported by a really active, healthy housing market. But when we look at auto, uh, specifically looking at more of the auto finance, we see some problems emerging there. So our, our models are forecasting rises in delinquencies. When we look at bank card or retail card, we are also seeing uh, our forecasts driving higher delinquencies. A, a lot of that has to do with the labor market still being in rough shape, and and eventually our you know we we, we do think that the the lack of income will show up. Right? The the story of the mm-hmm. summer has been that the economy has been bolstered by uh, all the extra disposable income, but um, once we get to the fall, especially if that stimulus doesn't arrive. Uh, we're really going to start to look like we have a credit market in an economic environment with a 7% unemployment rate. That's going to start to uh, really drive up delinquencies.
1: Thank you both. And let's take a look more deeply at mortgages. I, I know you both touched on them briefly. Can you help us understand you know, what the mortgage industry is looking like more specifically? We drilled down into auto and car during our last podcast. Let's take a moment to drill down into the mortgage industry.
3: Sure, Teresa. Uh, that's a great question. With mortgages, I mean, there are many of them are, are in some type of accommodation right now. Uh, there's two waves of that. There's uh, the first six months and the second six months. So we really won't see any uh, significant deterioration in many of the mortgages in the United States until maybe April of next year once we start to get through a, a year of accommodations. Uh, the housing market has done very, very well in 2020. If that is able to hold up into 2021, that's really going to uh, keep any type of delinquencies, foreclosures at bay. Uh, we definitely are not seeing the mortgage industry ter- turning into something like what we saw during the financial crisis in 2021. Really, uh, the housing market looks very, very strong, and there's a, a real runway for borrowers to adjust their debt and, and and their mortgage if they need to. Um, they have equity in their homes and they've got time to make the appropriate plan. So I, I don't see a wave of foreclosures. Um, there will be some delinquencies that will show up. Nobody really wants to leave their home uh, if, if they can't support being in it. But uh, we definitely look to see mortgages being one of the bright spots in the credit market overall, even in this pandemic environment.
1: Thank you, David. And Chris, when we look at the actual data, the current trends um, in the data, what are we seeing as far as, you know, with, as, as Chris Dorides was speaking to earlier with that potential for K-shaped recovery? Are we able to see some of that in the, in the current credit data that you have?
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good point, Teresa. And, and we do, right? Um, particularly if you look across Score bands, credit score bands, uh, byproduct, product—you uh, do see a bit of a, you know, of a differing uh, performance, right, um, across those and in, in across certain uh, regions uh, of the country as well. Some fair, you know, uh, better than others. Um, and I say, if we you know, talk about uh, mortgage, you know, specifically, and this does include, you know, the home equity type products as well. You know, that represents about seventy percent or so of our of the total debt, which we know is increased and uh mortgage has just been on the steady rise um for several years and we're we're now at this at that all-time high. Uh as a matter of fact, that's up uh, since uh the beginning of COVID, uh, mortgage has risen about 2.4, 2.5%. So, you know, that supports uh just what David was just talking about, you know, as well. So this it does appear to be, you know, one of the products that uh, you know, really hasn't been impacted by COVID. But when you dive in and you look at you know, possible uh, accommodations uh, for mortgage specifically, you know, there's no surprise there um, that the driver for those are coming from the lower end uh, score bands. And, and another thing that really isn't a surprise but does support all this as well is from a subprime share perspective. And here we're considering from a vantage score perspective, you know, 620 and, and below, um, you know, that share has declined uh, as well uh, since the beginning, you know, of COVID. Uh, And, you know, there, again, not not a surprise, but that's what we've uh, seen and what the data supports uh, here as well from looking at our different products.
3: I think, Chris, that's a very good point that you've raised and really continuing with the uh, one of the themes of this podcast, the the K-shape. When we look at the mortgage market uh, and we we dig through some of the data that uh, you you have access to, the, the credit trends data, we are actually seeing tremendous uh, growth in originations in a couple key uh, categories. If we look at the uh, superprimes, superprime borrowers, we really see the growth is very dramatic there. When we look at the highest income bucket, uh, the growth in mortgage originations, again, very, very strong. Uh, Look through some of the demographic variables. If if we look at the uh, ages, we can see 35 to 44-year-olds, they seem to have a very strong growth. And, and if you put it all together, we can see that there's a, a segment of the population with high credit scores starting to hit their peak earnings that um, just sort of seem to be uh, really taking advantage of this uh, economic environment and the low interest rates that are there.
1: After a quick break, we'll then shift years to small business credit. Back in a moment. Do you have the economic and consumer credit performance you need With CreditForecast.com, a joint product created by Equifax and Moody's Analytics, you can access data, forecasts, scenarios, analyses, and more from analysts you trust. Learn more in our show notes or visit CreditForecast.com today. Welcome back. We're joined now by Sarah Briscoe, Senior Data Scientist here at Equifax. Thank you for joining us, Sarah. We've gotten a great update on the macro economy and consumer credit just before the break. Now we're going to shift gears on the impact and outlook for small businesses. What do you see or what's top of mind as you look at the data on small business credit trends today?
4: So lending has dropped a little from the short-term increases that we saw earlier this year. So this month we did see a little lending drop. Uh, The biggest drops that we did see were accommodations and food arts and entertainment, uh, and education, which makes sense given the uncertainty of the conditions, especially for those industries. Construction is really the only industry that's showing extremely positive growth right now in terms of lending.
1: Thank you, Sarah. And shifting gears from the lending trends, what are we seeing on the delinquency side?
4: Uh, For delinquency, we're seeing drops. We have been seeing drops the past couple of months in light delinquency. That would be 31 to 90 days past due. Uh, After a steep increase earlier in in the pandemic, the one to watch with caution is definitely that light delinquency as we move into the winter. That tends to be an indicator of what's going to happen with the more severe delinquency and default. Uh, So the combination of accommodations right now, outdoor operations coming to an end as we move forward could cause an increase here, assuming that there's no stimulus of some kind. and then default is showing an upward trend with similar trends as lending in terms of industries, uh, the same industries that are hard hit that we generally see, arts and entertainment, accommodation, and food, I think restaurants, hotels, travel, uh, education. But overall, U.S. default is up for sure. So the other one we're starting to see small increases is agriculture, which is really interesting. That's definitely one to watch because it's highly seasonal, and a lot of times they're making annual payments. Um, And so when those annual payments come due, are they going to be able to pay them is a big question. So although the recent outlook is fairly good in terms of what's happening right now, uh, I'm a little cautious about the next couple of months of what's going to happen with the delinquency side.
1: Are you seeing regional trends in in the data and the insights that you're looking at today?
4: Yes, definitely. So currently, the South—you uh, think Florida, Texas, Georgia—those kinds of areas are seeing a higher uh, level of delinquency and default than other areas. The West, if you think like California, uh, is is also seeing higher than think about like the North. So. Um, uh, Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, those are generally seeing better conditions. We'll see how that, how that holds up as we go into the winter. Uh, but right now, our, our outlook and our, um, you know, delinquency and default, we are seeing higher levels of risk in the South and the West. Are there other short-term future expectations in the small business trends that you're seeing? The question is really around the stimulus, and we've, we've talked at that, uh, quite a bit here in the podcast. Uh, you know, in 2009, when we got the stimulus, there was a little bit of a delay, but then there was a, an increase of lending, delinquency went down, uh, and that then we saw recovery after that. With, with this, the, the source of the recession has not gone away. The, the virus has not gone away. So, we had the stimulus and things were looking good, but now we're seeing some, some drops or plateaus or whatever you want to call it. Um, so for the, for the short-term future outlook, I think a lot of the questions and thoughts are going to surround, is there going to be another stimulus? When is the source of this recession going to go away? Uh, COVID, you know, and, and that's very hard to predict right now, obviously.
1: And Sarah, you mentioned the lending trends, the downward trend. Could that be a direct result of, of businesses rolling off the payment protection plan, the stimulus that we've seen?
4: In some cases, yes. Um, you know, they're, they're running out of that money if they receive that money. Um, and in other cases, it could also just be uncertainty generally. Uh, and I think we all feel that uncertainty of what is the winter and next year going to look like and it's very hard to plan for your business if the business owner feels like it's going to be impossible to operate or very hard um, and so i think there's a lot of nuances to the lending trends but certainly ppp plays a role and any future stimulus stimulus will play, play a role as well
1: And Sarah, earlier we were talking with, with Chris, David and Chris about the potential shape of the recovery and and most specifically the K-shaped economy. What do you see on the horizon for small businesses in a K-shaped recovery?
4: Yeah, I do see similar things to what they were speaking of. Uh, you know, I've spoken before about how construction is doing extremely well. Um, and they are close to, you know, coming up on all time highs, um, where you see arts and entertainment, uh, you think about travel, those industries are really suffering. Uh, and you compare that to the last recession and what we saw where there was low access to capital, lending and investment fell across the board. It was a very different environment. So here the k ship recovery, I think we are—you uh, know, we are starting to see some evidence of that. And it's going to be extremely industry-specific and extremely specific to locations as well.
1: Thank you, Sarah. And so if if our listeners today want to learn more about the indices, where should they go?
4: So all of our indices are accessible on the Risk Insights suite. Um, that is a free tool. So some of it you have to register for, but it is completely free. Um, and that's sbinsights.paintitonline.com.
1: Perfect, Sarah. Thank you for joining us today. We touched on a number of timely topics today, including fiscal stimulus, the K economy, and additional topics. To discuss these topics in more detail, we encourage you to reach out to your Equifax or Moody's Analytics account executive today. If you enjoyed the insights shared, please be sure to subscribe to this podcast series, and please post a review to let us know how we're doing. We invite you to join us November 5th for our next Market Pulse webinar. We will host a panel of economists and discuss the 2021 outlook. Our Market Pulse webinars are scheduled for the first Thursday of each month, and we take a deeper dive into economic and credit insights, as well as accommodations and employment and income trends. We also provide additional timely topics aimed at helping businesses make more confident decisions in today's continuing uncertainty. You can register for our webinars at equifax.com. Forward slash market pulse. And if you liked the format of today's podcast, join us on the third Thursday of each month for the market pulse monthly. Thank you once again to our guests, Chris Dorides and David Fieldhouse of Moody's Analytics, and Chris Walker and Sarah Briscoe from Equifax. Please be sure to tune in next month for the next market pulse monthly. Thank you for listening. The information and opinions provided in this podcast are intended as general guidance only and are subject to change without notice. The views presented during the podcast are those of the presenter as of the date this podcast was recorded and do not necessarily reflect official positions of Equifax. Investor analysts should direct inquiries using the contact us box on the investor relations section at Equifax.com.